and welcome to episode 88 of The Dive Down, a Magic the Gathering podcast for the casual spike, focused on the latest decks, trends, and strategies in modern and pioneer. My name is Stanislav here in Chicago, and with me on the line from Denver, Colorado, it's the one and only Shane Beeps. Stanislav, what's up, my friend? I'm getting, I feel like I'm getting a wider angle view of you today. Like I'm seeing like some, some furniture, eight, eight different backpacks. Oh, I'm really leaning back. There's only two backpacks behind me today and my camera bag, I guess. I'm, I'm, I'm leaning back in my gamer chair, just like fully reclined. So I'm oh, as man. comfortable as possible. I see your like Thrustmaster joystick. Are you playing that MS flight sim? That's all the rage. No, my, it, it would burn down my house. My computer would explode. <laughs> <laughs> so it would sound very much like a real jet plane. Too many K not 4k it's like 16k computer can't handle that also with us the godfather dave harbarger i just want to thank you two for waiting nearly a full hour to start the recording of this episode as i went to get yet another member of my family out of medical care on short notice my dog my dog had surgery today oh no yeah did he did he get tommy john he he did not get tommy john he got tommy leg what's tommy leg (laughs) He had a Tommy leg. I think the vet can give you a punch card at this point, Dave. Oh my god! <laughs> do you do you regret not having some kind of like insurance from like day one? Uh, we're back to adult podcast. It's insurance talk <laughs> sub subsection. Um, yes, but I don't think they really offer it for animals, dude. I got pet insurance for my new cat because I, I'm so afraid of repeating. You know, my 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 older cat when he got older. You, they go to the vet a lot more for various things. And yeah. so like new cats, I was like, let's just get like this $12 a month health insurance. Does it cover any? All right, we're going to talk about this offline. I want to know okay. the details. Walter's like 95 though in dog years. I don't think you can get reasonable insurance. Here's what I, here's what I want to say. Join our Patreon, <laughs> please. <laughs> I got a dog with a turkey leg. He's shaved. He's got a new ligament in his leg. He used, they got, they did laser therapy on him. Oh my God. I've never had laser therapy. Yeah. What is it for? Like hair growth? Hair, <laughs> hair ungrowth. No, it was to give him new, new tendons in his leg or some stuff. Oh my God. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. So, I mean, I'm kidding. Don't, our Patreon money doesn't go towards my dog. Yeah, it goes towards think... my children. <laughs> All of this is news to me. I haven't seen one red cent. Look, on this week's episode, we're finally doing it. After dozens, maybe hundreds of requests from Reddit, Twitter, and now the Dive Down Nation, our quirky little two-hour Magic the Gathering podcast is officially doing a deck dive on modern gifts storm. Yeah, and this is a bit of a thank you to some of our longtime uh, members of the Dive Down Nation, specifically Dom and Jason, who kind of asked us to do this. I think those were the two people who asked for it the most. I don't want to leave anybody out, but yeah, we definitely have had some storm. There's there's some there's some stormophiles out there, and I mean honestly, if if Dom and Jason have asked, that's enough. Yeah, that's true. They're always there. Yep. Before all that, though, we're breaking down some recent modern tournament data that we've collected and see what this healthy metagame everyone keeps enjoying is all about. But first, what's all this then? I think I think it's time for housekeeping. Wow, this is the most hotly anticipated housekeeping segment we have ever had here on the dive down that's right we're doing our live drawing from the weekend's twitter giveaway for a what is it it's not modern horizons it's triple mat double masters vip yeah it's a vip booster pack worth about a hundred dollars usd 
So we've had 140 entrants. Really? Yeah. And I have them listed in a spreadsheet. My co-hosts have not seen the spreadsheet, as far as oh, I know. Hold on. Is that on our Google Drive? Don't, don't look. No, you're not supposed to look at it. Don't look. We're not don't going to look. look at it. I want to create the... S-H-A-N-E. Beefs. It's Shane Beefs, remember. <laughs> Eligible to win. There was no impropriety here. I've randomized all the entries, and I've developed a, a random numerical system to pick our winner. And what I'd love the two of you to do is pick a random number. Were we the seed numbers? You're going to give me, you're each going to give me a number. I'm going to find the average of those two numbers. And that's going to line up with a row in my Excel sheet. And that is how we will draw our winner. Hold on, hold on. So we could, we could, the average of two numbers. Yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. The average of two numbers is the winner. And you guys yeah. just have to each give me like a number between one and 212. Cause I've, this, this seems, Hold on. So we we basically and you so you've randomized it. It's not an order of any yeah like recency of retweet. No. So you just got some names, hit random. Just give me a number between one and one forty. That's how many entries we'd had. Okay, uh, one hundred and thirty-seven. Okay, Dave. Uh, I'm gonna say three. All right. The average is seventy, and our winner is at the Joe Cheney. <laughs> no. no! <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Oh, Joe, congrats, buddy. That's amazing. Joe's a local. He's a patron. We had a lot of patrons enter this contest, so I'm not I'm not surprised that that they entered. Uh this is cool. Maybe we can even hand deliver it to them. <laughs> oh man. <laughs> Joe Cheney. Joe's the heel of the slack, too. So Joe. I love you, Joe. We love you, Joe. He's the John Cena before John Cena became, you know, the hero to children the world over. No, it's. I'm actually really Joe. 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 Joe's cost per word is now like it's. It's his income per word on the Slack is like point zero 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 one cents now. I also think the Slack is gonna be thrilled that Joe won just because he's such a a regular. Yeah. All right. Congrats, Joe. We love you. You know that. Good. Good natured. We talk about Joe a lot. Like he used to back in the before times. Like he lent me his Jund deck to do the Jund dive down. You know, we see him at the LGS all the time. So I don't yep. think it could. It couldn't have gone to a more deserving person. <laughs> That's hilarious. That's so perfect. <laughs> You're welcome. That I picked three, Joe. Seriously. All right. Tell us about the new patrons. All right, new patron Trevor G. Thank you and welcome to the. Dive Down Nation, we appreciate you joining up. Kyle A, thanks for increasing your tier on the Patreon. And Dave hinted at the Patreon earlier. Uh, for all of our dog medical needs, you can go to patreon.com slash the dive down. We're going to put a new tier in that's going to be above the tiers that we have right now that where I'll send you some pictures of my dog. I'll send you maybe like some of his hair or something for it as a keepsake. Dog trend. Um, yeah, so what we really do with that is you guys, you all can give us a little bit of your cash every episode, and you get perks like some swag, some access to our Dive Down Slack, as we mentioned, lots of good conversation there every day. It's awesome. Yeah, welcome. C come on. Come on, get in there if you want to. If not, that's cool. We're, we're here. We're free every week. But thanks for all of you who are there. You know, there's another way to support the show, and that's with Mana Traders. It's an MTGO rental service. Maybe you've heard of it. For a certain amount of money per month, I don't even remember. They've got multiple tiers, so that number moves around. But if you sign up for Mana Traders and you use coupon code THEDIVEDOWN, you get 20% off your first three months of a Mana Trader subscription. 
It also helps support the show. You can play a bunch of Magic Online with practically any deck. I think it's worth it. We were subscribers of Mana Traders before we were sponsored. I think Dave mentioned it on episode one. The roots run deep. But now that we're done with housekeeping, which is unfortunate since it's everyone's favorite part of the show, let's jump over to the news desk headed by Shane this week. All right. Since we've been focusing on Pioneer a bit in our recent breakdowns, I thought it'd be cool to return to Modern check in on the last week of preliminaries, see what's going on in the format. So Watsi has been letting us down a little bit with the data. There's like no modern challenge data. There's only modern prelims. So sometimes I think it's a little bit tempting and maybe accurate to say the challenges are a little bit higher quality in terms of the tournament data. But I mean, we have five prelims to work with here. Um, so that's pretty good. As usual, we're going to look at all the three, two or better decks. Those are the ones that Watsi gives us. And then the four, one or better kind of winners meta, and then call out anything interesting that uh, we're seeing in the list as well. So let's get down to it and into the meta. We had 82 decks that went three, two or better in our five prelims. And as usual, talk about the percentage of popularity. So our top tier here, only at 11%. So nothing too dramatically awful. <laughs> Pretty safe, I'd say. We have Gruel Ponza and Bant Uro Piles, uh, nine copies each, 11%, like I said. Coming up right after that, Burn with seven copies or eight and a half percent. It broke those down and we have a single incinerator version, two Lyris versions, and four of our kind of classic Boros burn decks. Wow. Weren't we just saying burn wasn't too popular kind of compared to the, the prowess style decks and all of a sudden burn shows up here as our second tier? I mean, I think we were mostly saying that we wondered how burn was going to be in a meta that had a lot of Uro in it. That's a good point. And it still does. And it still did okay this weekend anyway. Oh yeah, for sure. We'll talk a little bit more about how well it did uh, beyond just showing up. Following Burn, we have Rakdos Prowess featuring Luris and Eldrazi Tron with six copies each or about seven and a half percent. What's interesting about Rakdos Prowess, it's pretty much the same deck we talked about a few weeks ago. It's our red core of Prowess that we're used to. Now, always has a few Kroxa, has Thoughtseize, Clean the Dust, Fatal Push, Unearth, Coligan's Command, and kind of the Luris package, as I think it's safe to call it, of uh, Mishra's Bobble and Seal of Fire. Anything that you guys saw in these Rakdos prowess lists or seeing anything different? So, I mean, one thing that I noticed is that um, I'm not seeing the lists that have Krosa in them here, but a couple of people are doing a couple of interesting things like uh, mutagenic growth in the main. And this deck is an interesting way to try to dodge lightning bolt and also give a little bit of extra power to some of your attackers. I'm looking at one deck here piloted by... Trader 08111 that has Kiln Fiend in the in the shell as well. It says it's Mardu Luris aggro. It's really Yeah, the Mardu's broken out separately. It's weird. Yeah, that's I mean that's not a goldfish thing. I think it's because it has wear tear in the sideboard. Well the the creatures are also different too and the spell's a little bit different. So you're 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 beat you're beating me to the Mardu Lewis Luris breakdown. Okay. Why don't you keep taking me taking me for? Oh, here's one of the the Kroxa lists. I'll, I'll take you. I'll take this little spin. Yeah, uh, Etron also had six copies. Uh, Maze Mind Tome has stuck around. Two or three of in the main decks now, so that's just here. Maze Mind is a thing in Eldrazi Tron. Um, but in our next section, we see Tron Dredge and Is It Prowess with five copies, about six percent. And the but was that Tron doesn't seem like it's experimenting 
with Maze Mind Tome at all any longer. But Tron is going through some interesting shifts lately. A little bit minor, but perhaps major when you think about how stable Tron has been over the past few years, even though it's, you know, it's added a few pieces here and there. This is actually removing some pieces in the form of Oblivion Stone. So Oblivion Stone, three of the five decks cut Oblivion Stone entirely and are adding a few Ugin the Ineffable and bumping up the creature count with a few more Walking Ballista, uh, a main deck, Emrakul the Promised, and in, I frequently see a full four Worm Coil engines in, in that specific build. You know, even as I can't really say I'm like an active Tronman at the moment, I have played a lot of Tron and thought about the deck construction for a bit, but I, I don't really know why I'd cut O-Stone. It's just so versatile, right? It's just so powerful in terms of cleaning up messy battlefields uh, and that you don't know what there's going to be. Like, you know, whether it's an artifact, planeswalker, enchantment, O-Stone can get the job done. Stan, I know that you've been thinking a lot about Tron builds. What are you thinking about Emrakul and Ugin the Ineffable. So I have been thinking about this a lot and trying to understand what's going on in the meta that may have contributed to this change. And I think it may, this is just a shot in the dark, but like, I think it may have, it may have something to do with the decline of go wide strategies like humans, for example. So you have less of a requirement to just like wipe the board away with O-Stone, but you still are in a meta where you have like a bunch of narrow threats and Ugin the Ineffable can answer a single threat while also providing you like additional threats of your own. It can eventually convert into card advantage. So I can see it moving around a little bit and O-Stone being relevant again, like if creature metagames sort of, you know, get popular again in modern. But I think just right now, O-Stone doesn't necessarily provide as much advantage as something like Ugin could. I think it's all about Uro. It's a way to grind and Wrath is not that good against Uro. So it needs a little bit of a game plan there would be my guess. And at the same time, um, World Coil Engine is extremely good against Prowess. So you kind of get that, well, we're switching to a different threat. We don't need the Wraths anymore. We need some way to get some card advantage. That's where we're at. I mean, if Ugin read Exile, yeah. target permanent, that's one or more colors. I could see that in an, in an Uro medic, right? But it just destroys it. So it's like you don't get a ton of value off of like an Ugin, the Ineffable coming down and doing its minus three to take it to one uh, loyalty and then just put an Uro in the graveyard. I mean, I know it can do anything because it's a target permanent. That's one or more colors. But if you're talking, if you're thinking about surgical attacks on Uro, it's not quite there. Don't forget, though, that all of these decks now have Karn the Great Creator packages so they can fetch up their one relic as well and deal with Uro that way. Sure, that makes sense. I think it's more about what card advantage engine is good in Tron, right? And so people are liking Ugin because you can manifest or whatever that weird ability <laughs> yeah. was called. And so that that's nice. Like you guys said, it deals with a permanent. Megamorph, Dave. And it also, Megamorph, Mega Manifest. What's it? It's static is reduce the costs of colorless, spells too right so i mean by two it's huge but uh the the curve of tron is such that this is not that big a deal because one this costs six so like you're you're, you're putting so you cool you can cast it on turn two no 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 you you, you put this on you put this down on turn three i know and uh, yeah i know but i i don't think like the the color spells costing two less i don't think is actually that huge a deal i think it's like i think it's a minor deal well doesn't it make it 
more consistently possible to cast a turn for Ulamog or even speed up your Emrakuls as well? Certainly. But I don't think that's, I don't know if that's a big enough game in terms of like the, oh, I put together like my my turn four, eight mana Ugin and, and Ulamog, which I run like two ofs in my deck on turn four type thing. Like, I don't think that's kind of like the main plan of attack. I just think this is a whole bunch of different things on one card where in a meta where wrath is like not that great i mean even if you look at the bant piles for by way of comparison they're only running one supreme verdict from what i can tell right now and it, that's in the whole 75 so i i just think that people maybe don't like a wrath right now so yeah that's fair if i was pl- if i was playing modern tomorrow i'd probably be testing tron against you know, these two styles of tron decks um against each other i mean not against each other but you know sequentially be kind of boring to play them against each other. What about your other favorite deck in this tier? Dredge? No, blue blue red prowess. Blue red prowess, yeah, is a prowess. <laughs> Shane, well known. I don't I mean I don't mind it. But like three so what's interesting here is three of our five dredge lists are the silver smut variant, but some of the more more successful, a 5-0 list and a 4-1 list, were the very traditional blood ghast style dredge decks. I mean it's it's kind of pick your poison, perhaps. Like dredge. I think dredge is one of the strategies and I'm sure the very good dredge players will, you know, be screaming at the sky, Shane. But I, I think dredge is just a strategy that you can build a number of different ways, thinking that there are very small edges, but like if dredge is going off, dredge is going off. And like there might be a few percentage points here and there in terms of like the exact ultimate best build and like how fast you're putting power down onto the table. But if people are not interacting with your graveyard, Dredge is likely winning the game. Yeah. I mean, I think it's something that maybe we should think about in more detail soon. Hint, hint. Next up on our list, four copies of Four Color Uro, or about 5%. I don't really care about talking about these. It's an Uro pile. You know what they look like. Yeah. One thing that was really cool that I noticed in the Uro decks, now that I've had a chance to look a little bit more, is just they're also running uh hour of promise as a one of it seems like as like a fun little spicy way to get some field of field of the dead out there <laughs> so why not more ways to win why not put put the broken cards with the broken cards coming up after that three copies each about 3.7 percent of red prowess mardu luris prowess featuring luris and jund so dave was talking about this mardu prowess list and i rudely cut him off because i had a whole paragraph here um that he had had time to read uh, it's a somewhat interesting di- distinction between the Rakdos prowess deck. It is built surprisingly differently, even though it looks really similar. And there aren't a bunch of white cards in this deck. So Mardu is a little bit disingenuous because like Dave said, the only white card is really like wear tear in the side. So goldfish being goldfish, they're very strict about like any random pip appearing kind of makes it into like a five color deck sometimes. But what these lists are doing is they're running like the aggressive creature suite in red. Swift Spear, Soul Scar, Abbot of Carol Keep, and Kiln Fiend, along with Luris and the Companion Zone. And the black spells are fewer in number and cheaper than the Rakdos builds. Like there's really only a few Cling to Dust and some Thought Seizes main. Like people aren't really running Unearth. They're not running Coligan's Command. They're not even running Fatal Push main deck typically because they want to keep room for their free spells like Mutagenic Growth and Gut Shot because you really want to capitalize on these prowess effects. So you have a higher density of prowess-y type creatures and then you keep your free spells and your cheap spells like your Cling to Dust and Thought Seizes um, to just get damage through. Yeah, I mean, it's just more iteration of what apparently is the metagame's aggro deck, along with Burn, I guess. But 
and not an aggro deck, tempo deck, like we talked about. But still, there's there's tons of versions of this floating around, and people are just experimenting, tweaking, etc. I'm surprised that if you're playing white, that you're not playing Path to Exile. In the side, even, right? Yeah. Because, yeah, it's cheap. It's a cheap spell to be able to cast. Like, I think it's. I think the the mana is such that you you probably don't have enough white sources to always reliably cast path early. If like they're if the white mana that they're really hoping to get is like for Aluris eventually, right. then it's like they probably have f- fewer sources than they might want to reliably run path over fatal push. And they don't even want the removal anyway. You pointed out, so they're not running fatal push either. Yeah, fatal push is in the side. I'm. I think Stan's saying kind of like if you're running push, why not run path? Yep. I think there's a there's a few considerations for why. And then finally up uh, two copies each of Niv to Light, my favorite non-carbonated soft drink, and Devoted Devastation. And we had 14 uh, other one-ofs, so our other is 17%. And that's kind of something that we, I think we typically see as A-OK, about 20% of something we might consider other. And again, our uh, our top tier decks, or our most frequently appearing decks, were only 11% each. Wow, that's healthy. Healthy seeming, sure. Uh, let's talk about the winner's meta. So 33 decks that went 4-1 or better. Burn, taking the first place with four copies of our 33. Wow. So seven copies of Burn in the prelims altogether, and four of those went 4-1 or better. Way to go, Burn. Get your cheap goblin guides. Yeah, it might go up to like $10 later. Um Rakdos Prowess, featuring Luris, Is It Prowess, and Gruel Panza, and Ban Uro all had three copies in our winner's meta. Tron, Mardu Prowess, featuring Luris, Dredge, and Four Color Uro, featuring Uro, all had two copies. Um, and then nine decks with one copy each, including things like Eldrazi Tron, which, as a reminder, had six copies, three, two, or better. So uh, it's not winning quite as much. If you can consider, you know, one random win and a preliminary, uh, really valuable data. Thoughts on this? A lot of aggro at the top of this list. A lot of aggro, right? Like interesting. Ten of our top sixteen decks, like anything that had th- anything with three or more copies, ten of those sixteen were like a prowess variant or a burn deck, right? And then the other six were like Uro piles and stuff like that. Wow, it's a lot of lightning bolt decks, really. Like it's not just any style of aggro. It's it's decks that kind of want to point bolts to the face. Although we talked about how prowess doesn't necessarily have to or want to do that all the time. Prowess is much more interactive than than burn in that way, or has the ability to be. I think, especially when you look at the Luris lists, you know. Yeah, you're pointing bolts at each other. I mean, so there's creatures, yeah. right? Like you're controlling the board and trying to sort of stick the the ultimate threat, and then occasionally the, burst damage to kill. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so like it's it's good against non-interactive strategies because you're just putting power down and and burn to the face, and then in a mirror style matchup or something like that, then it's about picking and choosing what threats and when you're removing them, and you know getting the sneaking the damage in where you can, and just trying to be the person that has one or two creatures in the battlefield, right? Or draws the most burn, yeah, and draw whoever draws the fewer the whoever draws the the fewer number of lands wins that matchup, right? I mean, I this feels a little bit like a blip to me, I guess, to, where there's just a whole bunch of aggro suddenly doing well, or a whole bunch of assertive decks, I guess we could say, doing well. But, um, you know, we'll see where it goes. I mean, a lot of people, it's super clear that these Uro piles are a big part of the metagame. It's super clear that, you know, Tron is is a bit on the way back, even though it's not in the winner's meta quite as much. Um, so, 
And then it's really clear that some kind of lightning bolt deck is going to be there too. And that's kind of new. You know what else I did notice that's not there at all though is death shadow is nowhere in any of these 82 decks. There's not a single death shadow deck, right? Like that's crazy. Like in all of these prelims, like, I mean, death, we have, we, we continually sort of talk about death shadow as like one of the best examples of like a tier two deck in modern. And perhaps it's just not right now. Well, I can tell you they were in the leagues because when I did a league for storm, I played against it twice in a row. And that How'd hurt. that go? Very poorly. <laughs> <laughs> and um, other things I'm seeing is like potentially on the decline. And the reason I say decline is I looked at kind of the previous year. And then I looked at what's like the, the last month or so. And Azorius Control, definitely on the downswing. That's more, I think, of the Uro Pile style deck now. Eldrazi Tron is not as competitive as it used to be. I think we we still see it show up a lot. But I think in terms of like the the winning end of things it's not quite as i think strong as it used to be i think people understand it and expect it and like you mentioned dave i think tron is kind of on the up uptick again i think people are interested in checking it out and playing with it and having some fun with it and i think in paper especially that will likely increase uh one of these years because people are probably buying into it with the reprints that we saw i'm curious to see if burn sticks around because like you said dave is burn can be a blip or burn can be sort of a thing like i remember I think early on in doing our pod, there was a good stretch of time when we saw a lot of burn. Mm-hmm. Like burn was just there for a while. And sometimes there's just stretches like that. Yeah, I, th- I think it's it, it preys on certain metagames. You know, when we started the pod, we were just talking about, is it Phoenix every week? And that was a pretty good matchup for burn. Yeah, right. Before we move out of the breakdown, I did find some interesting decks in here. It's time for my favorite part. It's time for Cool Decks Incorporated. Cool Decks Inc. Um, First, first deck, and this 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 is newer to me. But please let me know if I just missed something earlier. It's like this green white dryad titan valakit field comboish style deck, and it seems like it just wants to use effects like elvish reclaimer, knight of the reliquary, ramanap excavator, corsair of crufix, golos, prime time, whatever gets lands on the battlefield, frequently fetched out of your library or recurred out of the graveyard. Um, and that use then they use engine cards like Field of the Dead or Valakit, the Molten Pinnacle, to take care of the opponent. Note, no mountains in this deck to tr- trigger Valakit. Bigger note, this deck is running for Aether Vial. It's running Aether Vial with primetime. Yeah. So Why not? So they were talking about this deck on the last episode of Faithless Brewing, actually. Oh. Because um, there's this one streamer who's kind of designed this deck and has been playing it and has just an insane record with it. Um, so check out the last episode of their show to hear a little bit more about it. It's a total pile though. Like everyone is bewildered how this works or how this one person's so successful with it. Um, but it seems like there's something to this like wild maverick style creature package. Yeah. Check out the sister pod over at faithless. Uh, another deck I liked is this white sort of stone hammer. I just make up deck names now. Uh, so stone hammer is kind of like that. It's kind of just like a, it's like a cheap eggs style artifact deck. It's got Memnite, Ornithopter, Pure Steel Paladin, which uh, is good with artifacts and equipment. 
and Stoneforge Mystic, which is okay with equipment, I guess. Uh, you know, and the usual kind of suspects you'd think about in like this white base deck, like Steel Shaper's Gift and Sigarda's Aid. And it has a bunch of equipment and artifacts that you would also expect, like Mishra's Bauble and Colossus Hammer and Cranial Plating and like a few swords and Batter Skull and things like that. So it can get damage in, in the air, potentially, with like a suited up Ornithopter or on an Inkmoth Nexus for that really fast infect kill. Is this is this just a f- affinity? It's a rub, rubbing my eyes. Is is that you affinity? It's like that. Uh, it's like that Tom Ross Borosy deck. Yeah, right? but it's not Boros. Yeah. So I used to play something similar like this in the companion era when it was red, white, and it had Luris in the side. It had a slightly different creature package. though Stormforge was in it too, and it just kind of played like something between affinity and infect and uh, auras boggles where like. You just put down a, a cheap creature, you cheat some powerful equipment on it, ideally Colossus Hammer, and then you just win on turn three or four out of nowhere. Yeah, cool stuff. Yeah, I'm into it. I like it. And then final segment of Cool Decks Inc. Bant Uro Karnblade. Uh, we have like, you know, there's we've seen some of these combos before in terms of like the Teferi Time Raveler, Karn the Great Creator, Oath of Nessa, Utopia, Sprawl, Arbor Elf sort of thing. And but now this deck gets to do some more interesting things because it has Uro, which is a crazy card, and it gets to it slots in Stoneforge Mystic, uh, only Sword of Feast and Famine and Batter Skull, but also has Shark Typhoon because why not? This is a bad deck, and Monvoli Acid Moss destroys an, an enemy's land while ramping yourself. This card is just always kind of out there, right on the edges of about to be good. I feel like. I definitely, we've definitely have seen it in various decks do something. So this is just kind of like a rampy pile. It has like a pretty minimal wishboard, like only a few things that are really surgical, like Torpor Orb. Note, Torpor Orb stops your own Uros and your own Stoneforge Mystics. <laughs> so I wouldn't suggest that early on in the game. But you I mean, you can always you can always find value out of a Pithing Needle or a, a Liquid Metal Coating or an Ensnaring Bridge, especially, right? I mean, you know what I love seeing is I love seeing Sky Sovereign Council Flagship finally getting the respect in modern. Like it's been in a, pine, a lot of Pioneer wishboards, but the boat womp womp is now in modern as well. It is such a beating against prowess. It's yeah. so good. Honestly, because it comes in, it kills something, and then they suit it up somehow and attack with it. It's re- it's actually really rough. How about this spicy card in the wish package? Omen Machine. Have you seen this card before? Uh, I mean, I was trying to figure out, like, what makes this better for you than for your opponent? Do you know what I mean? It's just like, yeah, players can't draw cards. At the beginning of each player's draw step, they you the player exiles a top card of their library. If it's a land card, you put it on the battlefield. Otherwise, they cast it without paying its mana cost, if able. I, I know what Stan's going to say. Hit it, hit me, Stan. Oh, Teferi Time Raveler. Yeah, exactly. It's just a Teferi combo. Yeah. Oh, it's good. That's good. Opponents. So there's there's countless other ways to combo with Teferi. This player just chose to use Omen. I'm not sure why. This I'm glad I'm glad that this is this is why I do this with you so that you can you can make me think of sick sick combos with the fairy time raveler. This deck has everything: Stoneforge, <laughs> Uro, Arbor Elf, and Utopia Sprawl. T three, Karn the Great Creator, One Volley Acid Moss. Just play it. I like Shark Typhoon. You know what I think this deck is missing is Primeval Titan. Right. <laughs> Get Prime Time in there. You got a stew going and Aether Vial. Make some room. 
So that, that ends Cool Decks Inc. I think that ends uh, the breakdown. Let's head into the dive down where we're going to talk about Gift Storm. Stay with us. Gift Storm, one of the oldest living Izzet decks in modern. I actually need to wax poetic for a minute because playing this deck for this week's episode brought up a lot of old memories for me. Setting aside some of our personal histories with this deck, Storm has undoubtedly earned a place in modern's most hallowed halls. It's been present since the earliest days of the format, appearing in the top eight of the very first ever modern pro tour in 2011. Now the deck has gone through some significant changes since those early days. In fact, the top eight deck from 2011, piloted by Max Sjoblom, includes not one, not two, not three, but four cards that are currently banned in modern. Nice. To me, Storm rests next to the likes of Jund, Tron, and Burn as a lasting fixture of the format. And perhaps part of that is because Storm also occupies some of my oldest memories of modern. It was my first modern deck, built around the time that Modern Masters 2017 reprinted Scalding Tarns, and for many months it was the only deck I played. This was even around the same time I met my co-hosts, and looking back, I think our shared interest in the modern format was central to that early bonding I got to have with you guys. Frankly, I'm not sure I would have had a lot to talk to you guys about if I hadn't discovered the format when I did. <laughs> Who knows? Maybe there's a parallel universe out there where I never played Storm, we never became friends, and I'd just be another random fan retweeting you guys trying to win a booster pack. <laughs> At the Joe Cheney. So fast forward a few years. My friends and I decide to start a podcast about Modern, and we start doing these deck dives on Is It Phoenix week after week. Maybe, <laughs> maybe there were other decks no one remembers. But even in those early days, once people started to get to know our show and our format a little bit, fans on Reddit and Twitter would periodically say, I hope you do a deck dive on Storm. And it really came to a head recently when our patrons threatened a mutiny. They formally demanded we do an episode on this weird combo deck. And so we heard that, we embraced it. To be honest, I think we kind of shrugged and said, okay, fine. But here we are. The day has finally come to talk about Grapeshot. And to start this conversation, I want to ask you guys, why do you think it took us so long to talk about this deck? Because Shane hates this deck. No, because we don't play combo that much. <laughs> we don't talk about combo. This is what we talk about when we talk about combo. It's my favorite. Yeah, it's my favorite short story collection of magic-inspired, moody, 40-page stories. I don't know. I mean, it's a great question. I, I know, I guess for me, it felt like I just haven't played it in so long or haven't wanted to play it in so long. It hasn't really been as prominent in the meta as it was just before we started this podcast as it, you know, in years, but it's definitely still there. It pops up quite frequently. It's the type of thing that you can see, you know, in the top 32, in the top eight occasionally of well-known uh, of a big tournament. I think... Like Dave was saying, I think all those things are true, but I also think it's one of those decks that rewards expertise in a different way. And I think we're all afraid to be like, look, we're not that expert. I, I'm super terrified of this on this episode. This is going to be like the idiot's guide to trying to play Storm. It's not even going to be like a, like a real dive down into how to play it oh man which is which is valid i thought i mastered it in the last week well if that's true i mean you did write some excellent notes so uh 
I can't wait for you to to take us through that part. I mean, I do think that we don't we never we never really say we're going to make someone an expert at playing the deck. I think what what's good about this though is even if you're not interested in playing Storm, is every once in a while you're going to face down Storm, and it and it pays you dividends to understand how the deck is operating and what the win cons are and how the storm player is planning on winning because then you can attempt to disrupt what they're doing yeah and they give you opportunities to disrupt them when they cast gifts ungiven you you have agency in that game even if you're not casting disruption spells do you really feel that people have agency we're going to put a pin in that and talk about that in more detail later so let's jump in one of the cool things about storm is its incredible redundancy. It's got a bunch of cards that pretty much do the exact same thing. And since this deck is so old and so popular and a lot of people know what it's about, we're not going to dwell too long on what all the cards are, but just for the sake of setting some groundwork and potentially introducing this deck to, you know, unfamiliar listeners, let's look at the card categories that are present in essentially every version of Is It Gifts Storm. Starting with the cantrips. Serum Visions, Opt, Flight of Hand. They draw you cards... Sometimes they increase your storm count, and really they just set you up for your big combo finishes. Not even that interesting in this deck, right? Like they kind of feel like just Nessa. I mean, it's an interesting place to start because not an iconic card in the deck, but it, it is a blue-red deck, so it gets to slash has to play them in order to move through it. The deck basically has always played, uh, as long as I've been playing it, since, again, around the time that that Modern Master 17 came out, there's a lot of reasons that it was around that time, uh, has always played Serum Visions and Sleight of Hand. Opt is a recent addition, of course. And like Stan said, back in the day, Get Probe, Preordain, Ponder, the really high-powered uh, cantrips were Shrewins and definitely made this deck a lot better. So although you will sometimes cast cantrips while you're storming off, I think one important distinction about them in this deck is that I find you generally get to cast them liberally early in the game, and you don't necessarily need to hold them for your combo turn, unlike your rituals. Yeah, yeah. And the other thing to note is that when you're going off with Storm, you actually generally have a hard time getting blue mana because the rituals don't generate it. I mean, Manamorphose does. We'll talk about that in a minute, but usually there is a little bit of a point where you just run out of blue mana and you have a mana pool filled with red. So you often don't get to recast them, but lots, lots more to get into there. How do you recast them? Why would you recast anything, etc.? We'll go from there. Yeah. Speaking of the rituals, you have pyretic ritual, you have desperate ritual, and you kind of have metamorphose in that slot as well. All three of them are instants. Pyretic and Desperate make three red mana for one and a red. Manamorphose, of course, makes two mana of any color for one and a red. No one ever uses green mana to cast Manamorphose, but it also draws you a card. Yeah. Desperate Ritual also has Splice onto Arcane, which when I first played Storm, like, what is it, three or four years ago... I swear to God, I never once used Splice into Arcane. I was just like, I don't know how this ability works. I'm new to modern. I'm not even going to learn it. I'm just going to make three mana and move on with my day. It does have random utility, right? Yeah, like if you have peer through depths. Well, if you have a pair of desperate rituals, that's where this happens, right? I mean, people used to run peer through depths in this deck, especially before Opt was printed into the format. But I don't think you're going to see that quite as much now. But if you happen to have, you know, you're going off, you got two of your rituals they're both desperate rituals you can generate some extra mana with just those two cards you got to remember how that works yeah so how it works whenever you cast an arcane spell which in this deck it's just another copy of desperate ritual more often than not you may reveal the ritual in your hand pay its splice cost of one in a red to add an additional three mana to the spell you're casting so it kind of like copies that effect onto the first spell 
In other words, anytime you're casting an arcane spell, you can add effects onto it from the cards in your hand that have splice. And the important thing here is that the creatures in this deck do not reduce the cost of splicing. It's not a mana cost, it's an ability. But if you are casting Desperate Ritual with flashback from your graveyard and you have one in your hand, you can splice the flashback to cost as well, or the flashback to card. Yeah. But that's kind of cool. Wow. That is complex rule interaction, but totally true. I guess since we're just starting to talk about Storm here, it's worth pointing out to anybody who hasn't played this or maybe someone who's new to modern that this this deck is all about generating tons of mana and casting a whole bunch of cards that don't do anything other than either A, draw cards or generate mana or let you cast cards from your graveyard to be able to use the Storm mechanic to kill somebody. Um, we'll get to the specific, specifics of that later, but the rituals are the engine to that for a couple of reasons, most of which is because they gain, they net you one mana when you cast them alone. And if you have a hand filled with a bunch of them and then you get access to your graveyard, you can do get your storm count up really, really high and end up with a big, uh, big old targeted grape shot at the end of that rainbow. The last thing I would say is storm is another deck that just shows how powerful Manamorphose is because it combines two of the essential things that the deck needs into a single card. It generates mana in certain conditions. It it gets you an extra mana and other ones. It's just a pass through that lets you fix your mana and gets you another storm count, but it also draws you a card. And so in the context of prowess, I love Manamorphose in the, this, but this is the first deck that I cast Manamorphose in, and it is still very, very good. For sure. Yeah, Manamorphose, I remember when this is one of the cards that I think would be a frequent target of like something like an inquisition or something like that because of just the raw power, like you said, Dave, where it's like, yeah, it's going to, it's going to just cycle itself and generate mana positivity. So it just, it's, it's such a powerful engine to the deck. And I just felt like that was always one of the cards that I think people would be like, I guess I got to take care of this, I think. Yeah. And color filtering is, is so crucial in, in what this card does for your big combo turns because it lets you start to recast like your gifts ungiven or other blue spells. Yeah. Good point. Again, once you get access to the graveyard in this, the way that you can in this deck. But the big key with this is that the way to turn a good turn into a great turn or a part combo turn into a full combo turn is to reduce the cost of your spells. Dave, how do we do that? Shane, why don't you tell us how you do that? <laughs> well, you get to cast creatures, which I, I like creatures, and these cre but these creatures don't really attack much. Um, Baral, these creatures are not for you, Shane. No, these are the worst creatures. <laughs> yeah, they're they're typed wizard, which is Shane's least favorite creature type. Are they both? They're both wizards. I guess that's why they get the cost reduction. So Baral, Chief of Compliance. Uh, the compliance is what with accepting the fact that my spells are cheaper. And Goblin Electromancer. They they do the same thing, right? They make your rituals and your combo payoffs cheaper. Uh, Baral is interesting in that it has like this little minor upside. It turns your remands into card selection spells. He's also uh, legendary, which is a slightly different risk than Goblin Electromancer, which is not. Uh, but, you know, of course, they both died a bolt and they're both essentially kill on sight. Yeah. And what they do is they reduce the cost of your spells by one generic mana. So it makes all your rituals net you two mana instead of one mana. And so that's how you get to a point where you can generate huge amounts of mana in a single turn. Um, you know, the level one version of this deck is that you need a creature cost reducer to go off. Like that's like game plan number one is how to think about how to get the deck going what with the game with the plan where you have Brawl or 
Goblin Electromancer in play. There are many other lines once you get better at this deck that don't involve that, but that's the first thing to learn is like, how, what do I need to mull into to, to, do I need a reducer? Do I not? What kind of situation am I in? The other thing that's super interesting is that this deck went from tier three at the time, you know, back around 2017 to basically what I would call tier two plus tier one minus in modern with the printing of Brawl, right? Because it went from a deck that used to have a whole lot of rituals and a whole lot of cantrips originally that would storm off and kill somebody that way to something that was using Goblin Electromancer, but didn't really have enough power to make it happen all the time. And then when they printed another cost-reducing creature at 2CMC, that made the deck catapult of the deck totally forward. And it became really the build that it is today, you know, with gifts ungiven, even as part of the package. That wasn't that didn't used to be part of the deck back in the day either. And so um, this is one of those things, you know, we talked about the rule of eight when we were talking about deck building a long time ago with, uh, you know, kind of the math episode. This is one of the best examples of a deck that went from being not that good to being very good because it had eight of the same effect. And in fact, the one thing I would point out really quickly is that not only does this deck have eight cost reducers, it basically has eight plus rituals and eight plus cantrips filling the real like core of what this deck is this deck is made to cantrip ritual and cost reduce it yeah that's interesting i i also wonder if the reason it was like tier one minus was because it entered modern in a pretty hostile time for it too you know grix's shadow was super popular at the time it was the tier zero and that's like this deck's worst matchup or one of the worst matchups um and yet it still managed to persevere Prior to Gifts and Baral, like this was playing Pyromancer's Ascension. Yeah, that's totally right. Yeah, I forgot about Pyromancer's Ascension. And it was very much like a not that well-known deck. There were a few people who picked it up. Notably, John Finkel has been a fan of Storm in, in Modern for a very, very long time and was well-known for, you know, once a year dusting off Modern and doing a charity stream where he would just play Storm online and show people how it was done. But that is the ultimate skill testing version of the deck brawl and gifts made the deck a lot more accessible to people who aren't john finkel yeah i gotta say i'm surprised though that we didn't talk about kind of like og storm like like banning all the cantrips in modern storm like right like th there was a gap of power level on this deck from like the ponder and preordain days and what was like the truly busted card that also got banned? It was the other ritual. It was the one that makes red mana for every copy of itself in the graveyard. Well, there's there's two. There's there's Rite of Flame that's is the one. one. And yeah. the other one is Seeding Song that's also banned, which is a three CMC spell that makes five mana. And so there's multiple rituals on the banned list that would have worked in Storm that they just used to like remove, remove to take the power down. Because if you could play like... 20 rituals in this deck there really wouldn't be any need to do anything other than that you know I mean? ritual 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 grape shot right pass and flame grape shot like that's it yeah so i think it's interesting that there's like wizards of the coast clearly doesn't love storm to be really strong because it's kind of not it's, they're usually just non-games right like it's just like i'm gonna do some stuff i'm gonna i'm gonna do some you're gonna hit f6 i'm gonna do my thing and i'm gonna kill you and so early on this deck was was crazy strong and got a number of cards banned, and then slowly has like came back to be you know, nearly a top tier deck, and in some people's hands, a very top tier deck, like uh, Dave was saying. And today, of course, you know Caleb Shearer is well known as a purveyor of this deck. Plays it basically no matter what meta game we're in. I mean, you know, 
this whole deck is made to leverage probably the most broken keyword that has ever been made. It's certainly one of the one of the top. Everybody knows Mark Rosewater's scale of brokenness is named after Storm. Yeah, where do you think Storm is on the Storm scale, Dave? I mean, you know, figure it out. Three <laughs> could come back if conditions are right. I mean, it it actually did come back with conditions being right because they printed new Storm spells in Modern Horizons. <laughs> Weather the Storm. Yeah, which is a pretty good Storm spell in itself. But um, man, the mechanic, every time I play with a card that has Storm, I'm just like, this is absurd. Like, the fact that I can put 12 copies of this onto the stack at once is like, I can't even believe it. <laughs> I can't even believe that they made this this mechanic, really, the more I think about it. But it's there, it exists, and you get to play it in here. So we'll talk about how it pays off later. But Shane, what do you think of the mana here? Uh, it's good. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, the, what's interesting is a couple options, right? Like, you typically run, like, fewer than 20 lands, like 18, kind of generic. There's, there's nothing fancy. Sometimes it's fetchless, and sometimes there's fetches. Mm. I actually think it's... These days, fetchless more often than not. Yeah, I think so too. What do you think the benefit are? Like the benefits of running fetchless? Like, is it the fact that like you want to keep your scries? Like you you don't want to be shuffling your deck up because you're you want to control the manipulation more? That's exactly what it is. Yeah, you know, between sleight of hand and you know opt and serum visions, you're scrying a lot. And usually, if you're scrying a card to the bottom, especially off of serum visions, that means you do not want to see it again. It's like your extra copies of Baral. It's you know, your lands that you don't need and you'd rather like draw into gas or combo pieces and playing Scalding Tarns, which was kind of the de facto mana base once upon a time, now is like, in some cases, the fringier way of building Storm. Yeah. I mean, that helps make it cheap too, which is nice. It's great. To, it's it's yeah. seriously great. Like, that's one of the best things about Storm. That's cheap. I mean, what another thing that's good about Storm, I mean, it, it's just kind of jumping ahead a little bit in terms of what's good about Storm is that it nothing else plays like it and a lot of the very few of your cards are probably going to like move in and out of that deck. And if they do, you can just buy another place out of them. Yeah. So it's like a good gauntlet deck, right? Like I always have, it's like I ever, I'm really feeling like, like sort of making my opponent twiddle their thumbs for a bit. I'm going to take Storm mm-hmm. and just take my sleeved up Storm and its novel sleeves. Yeah, I think it's uh, the cheapest competitive modern deck potentially. On Goldfish, it hovers like around 200 bucks. And I think for that reason, for a lot of people, it's often like the modern entry point just because, you know, if you're deciding to play modern, you want to play to win, you know, you're a spiky person. I think if modern is appealing to you in some capacity and it's like, what's the cheapest way for me to potentially earn wins and enter the format. And I I think one thing that I'd love to talk to you guys about at some point in this episode is like whether or not it being cheap actually means it is a good way to enter modern and whether it's the type of deck that, you know, newcomers can like, enjoy or leverage to success and don't forget metamorphose is cheaper now <laughs> so storm storm is on sale yeah yeah i was gonna say the other deck that comes to mind is mono red prowess is actually very affordable as well so i feel like you kind of pick one of those two to start playing when you start playing modern easy to pivot between them as well yeah. Baral has crept up Baral is a somewhat expensive rare now oh really it's, yeah it's he's like, like six or seven bucks yeah wow. seven bucks oh all right so the combo enablers Let's start with the namesake, Gifts Ungiven. Basically, the only deck that runs Gifts Ungiven with any regularity. Search your library for up to four cards with different names. Reveal them. Target opponent chooses two of those cards. Put the chosen cards in your yard, the rest in your hand. Shuffle your library. Remember Ghost Dad? Yeah. 
Obsidats? That, de- that deck ran Gifts Ungiven, didn't it? Oh, man. I don't know. Gifts is an instant. So there's a lot of cases where you are playing it on your opponent's end step to just set up your combo finish as soon as you untap. Yeah. You can play... Yeah. The joke here is that the Storm player doesn't care what you choose most times in the best scenarios. What you put in the graveyard, what you put in their hand, usually they can pick a four that makes it uh, pretty hard for you to come back or at least lets them do what they want to do next. It's interesting to me that this card was not played earlier in Storm because this was the innovation with Brawl that really kind of made the deck come back. I think it's just because there were too many other good cards in the deck before, you know, like I said, Git Probe used to be in the deck. Shane pointed out that Pyromancer's Ascension used to be in the deck. It's all like, it just didn't work well with that package. But now, you know, with the two cost reducers, it got a lot better. Yeah, we'll talk a little bit more about Gifts packages later on. The other card I want to mention in this category is Past in Flames. Very important to this deck. And, and you know, one of the key pieces in a lot of your combo turns. Each instant sorcery card in your graveyard gains flashback. The flashback cost is equal to those cards' mana cost, and it too has flashback. It's uh, three in a red for sorcery or four in a red for the flashback cost. Yeah. This is one of your most common gifts targets. You know, other pieces will move around a lot, but like you don't care if it's in your hand or in your graveyard because you usually have ways to produce enough mana to flash it back. Um, and then if you need to get more, you just cast another gifts ungiven from the yard with flashback. Yeah. Unreal powerful card. I This is a card that I'm always like, is this going to get broken by somebody else someday? Because it's like, it's really powerful, Past in Flames. Yeah, and I think the power is in just the fact that it doubles up all your spells. It just not only helps you generate a ton of mana, but it just gives you so much card advantage that you kind of feel like you're playing Dredge, where it's like, I have my hand and I also have my graveyard and I just can cast spells from whichever zone I want. Right. And then finally, we have the combo finishers. Most common in main decks, especially, is Grape Shot. I think everyone knows what Grape Shot does. This is your titular storm spell. Also has a nice little combo with Remand that sometimes lets you win without a Gifts Ungiven. Yeah. So just to be really clear, I'm just going to say what Grape Shot does. Does one damage <laughs> to any target. Pretty simple. For one colorless and a red. It Point. sounds pretty bad, Dave. <laughs> Point, yeah, it does sound bad, but you know I love Gut Shot, and so why wouldn't I love a two-mana Gut Shot? Well, it's one mana if you have Brawl out. Right, perfect. Even better. Doesn't <laughs> doesn't let me hurt myself. I love it. Uh, yeah, this card has Storm. and this, oh. oh, yeah. And so this, this card is super interesting in the deck, and I think a lot of the next level... Pl- First off, obviously, you want to try to hit somebody for 20 with it. Like, that's that's what the thing is, or 18 or 16 or whatever they're at like that's the plan cast a bunch of rituals cast pass and flames cast a bunch of rituals cast grape shot kill your opponent that's what you do a lot of the time with this deck but there's other things that grape shot does grape shot occasionally does uh kills all of your opponent's creatures if you need more time but still have a grip that you can make happen hard to recover but sometimes it's kind of what you have to do in order to win uh you do a, a value grape shot essentially where you three for one them or four for one them or something like that. And then Stan mentioned the fun combo with remand, which I actually think is a pretty big path to victory for this deck. Honestly, you have to remember like remand's great as a card to like catch somebody buy yourself a turn, draw a card, give you some time to go off on the next turn. When you have a cost reducer out, it only costs one. When you have Baral out, you get an extra card filter effect, which is 
pretty insane for a one mana spell to do counter counter target spell, draw a card, and also uh, loot a card that can lead you some big turns. But the real trick here is that if you grape shot and then cast, put all the stacks on uh, all the instances of storm on the stack, and then remand your own grape shot, the original copy, you can recast it and double up your grape shot so that you get basically double whatever your storm count is off of just those few cards. Right. And and that's helpful when you perhaps don't have a pass in flames or don't have enough rituals to get your storm count to say 20. It doesn't work if you're flashing back the grape shot. No, because it doesn't actually put it into your hand. If any, if the card moves to any other zone, it's exiled. Correct. Yeah. So that's something you have to keep in mind, especially in paper or, I mean, on moto, you have to keep that in mind, but it'll at least keep you honest in paper. It's really easy to accidentally uh, cheat by doing that so don't do that keep keep an eye on it and also if your opponent if you're playing against storm remember that that's how that interaction works but i think it's great you know it's a way to win against someone who's gotten too reckless with their life total if they get down to like 10 sometimes you can grape shot reman grape shot someone with very very low spell count if someone's at 20 and you only have a few cards in hand sometimes you can still get there if you can reman if you can grape shot reman grape shot yeah um, so there were, in that first Modern Pro Tour, there were two blue-red spells decks with Pyromancer's Ascension, but I mentioned the Max Sjoblom deck in particular because that one had Grape Shot. The other one did not. As the kill condition too. What, what did the other one kill with? I think it was just Ascension. Oh, just Ascension. Yeah, that makes sense. So this deck does have one other Storm card very often, and that's Empty the Warrens, which is create two 1-1 one, one red goblin creature tokens. Uh, very often it's in the sideboard. Sometimes you see it main. It just gives you a nice plan B if you know your opponent maybe has like ley line of sanctity, or maybe you can't get your storm count high enough to, you know, kill them with grape shot. You will eventually produce enough goblins that like it either stalls out the game or a couple of com- combat steps wins you the game. Yeah, it's good. It's good insulation against like a surgical type effect, right? Yeah, it's also actually another way to have some kind of interaction in the storm deck because it's a good card to have access to if you're playing against an aggro deck so that you can do kind of like a value uh against um sorry you can do a value empty the warrants and so maybe you have to block a little bit to buy yourself some time you make yourself eight one ones with a minimum amount of effort and kind of continue to get there that can be good and then yeah this is another one where low storm count can sometimes get you there if someone doesn't have a way to kill a lot of creatures one other card I would throw in here, by the way, just for like the fun flex, is Ignite Memories, which is a really wild card that Caleb Shearer tends to run in his sideboard. Uh, it's another Storm card. What it does is it lets you randomly choose a card from an opponent's hand and deals damage to them equal to the casting cost. And so it's just another way to maybe win with a low Storm count if you know that your opponent has, say, like a lot of medium size cards in their deck. So maybe you're playing against Tron or E-Tron. I think that's what it's for, but it's just it's also just another path to victory against surgical effects too, so. Yeah, to be honest, I didn't play any of the lists with that card. Rather, I played the list that had two Aria Flame. Mm-hmm. So Aria Flame, do you guys remember this card from Modern Horizons that we thought was not going to be good and then it ended up being like actually somewhat relevant? It actually made made Is It Phoenix into even the best deck other than once Hogak was gone. But Yeah. And you know what? It still sees play in Storm. 
I think you bring in this card against some of the hate that opponents play against you. That's kind of when it's really good. So, like, if your opponent has a taxing effect, like Damping Sphere or Eidolon of Rhetoric, for example, and maybe you can't cast more than, like, one or two or three spells per turn, Aria Flame doesn't really care. You know, Aria Flame just kind of says, like, if as long as I can play a spell or two every turn, I'll just get you dead in a handful. Yeah, important to note all the different paths to victory that this spells deck has, right? Like it has the direct damage version, it has the we're going to creature attack you, it has the weird ignite memories version, which maybe has its uses, and then Aria Flame for helping out, like Stan said, when you have some hate against you. All of these seem like they are diversions from the plan if you take them at face value. But the truth is what the deck wants to do is get value off of casting lots of spells. It doesn't necessarily have to be storm spells, right? It can be anything that pays off cantripping and ritualing. So those are the cards. We need to take a second to consider Dave's question because I think it's a very important question that has many different answers. Which question is that? Does this deck seem fun? Why, why would someone play this deck? Stan infamously has told a story on here a couple of times where he went to regionals, Star City regionals. And one thing everybody should know about Stan, if they don't know about this about Stan, is that when Stan goes to a tournament, he goes to a tournament. You will not find Stan X3 dropping. No. No way. Stan plays every round of the tournament. Me, if I'm 1-3, I'm hitting... I'm hitting the Arby's and heading home. <laughs> it's time for a Taco Bell run. Exactly. But Stan will be like, he'll start out a tournament. He'll be like, yeah, I'm, I'm one and three, but I'm going to keep playing for a little bit. And then he always like gets back there, but he always sticks in and plays all nine rounds to see where it goes. So infamously during Stan's first year of playing modern and you know, during, I mean, was modern really sort of like your first pass at like competitive magic in general? Like, was that when you started going to bigger tournaments or were you doing standard and stuff? Modern was the first time I started going to like big comp REL nine round tournaments. Right. Though I started playing at like the LGS level via draft and then I upgraded to standard and then like my beloved standard deck rotated out and I was like, well, this sucks. Yeah. And that's right when you met us and we were like, hey. <laughs> Yeah, I met these cool dudes. <laughs> Someone invited me to a group chat with a bunch of strangers. <laughs> that was like, maybe if I spend $200, I can impress these people. <laughs> That's all it yeah. takes. It worked. It worked. Stan's very impressive. Um, and he he took Storm to regionals during his first year of kind of like, or one of the first big like multi-round tournaments that he went to and had a mind-melting experience. Is that right? Yeah, thanks, Dave. Um yeah, I played all nine rounds. I went two and seven. Wow. That it was a lot of storm. There was I, I started out strong the first few rounds and then I got tired. I made some huge punts. You know, I didn't even know how splice onto arcane works. So like what what can you expect? And it was such a mentally taxing experience that I I more or less just took a break from magic for like a month after that, with the exception of maybe like a little casual commander or some chaos drafts with the boys yeah this is what storm can do to you this is your brain on storm yeah you know what i mean and so i didn't bring that up to like blast stand but to be like this deck is not easy to play and it requires a lot of attention to detail totally true and not only that but i'm pretty sure after that tournament like i sold my gifts i sold my paths and flames and maybe my mana morphoses uh and just like never played storm again that was basically when i started transitioning to like kiki and blue moon strategies 
Because I had these scalding tarns. What else am I supposed to do? I mean, yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. So anyway, so why why would people play this deck? Like, what's the appeal of a combo deck in this sense? And what's the appeal of this deck specifically? Stan, it's been a couple of years. What do you think now? Now that I've had a little bit of time away from it, played against it a bunch of, of course, and like now revisiting it for the first time in a few years, I, I have some theories. Maybe you really like combo and especially just like doing math while you play games. And you're not doing like high level algebra, but like you have to go plus two, plus two, plus two, minus two, plus two a lot in the same turn. And like maybe that comes natural to you and you even enjoy it. So I think if you like math, Mm -hmm. maybe you like Storm. Maybe you never want to think about combat ever. (laughs) Some people don't want to think about battlefield combat. Shane, on the other hand, loves to think about battlefield combat. Don't you think that's part of it? Like if there are certain parts of the game that just like are a little less interesting to you, like turning creature sideways just like feels like too new school magic and you kind of just want to do powerful spell-based old school magic, like Storm kind of tickles that part of your brain. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that this is very much, I mean, math plus what Stan is talking about, this deck is a brain teaser, right? It's a puzzle. Mm-hmm. And if you are a person who likes puzzles and likes figuring out how to use all the different pieces and knows what the plan is and where to go next, you can plan out a lot of stuff with Storm without um and and run your script and have like pretty good success that way. Not every deck is like that. And many decks, even ones that are assertive aggro decks that have plans, you know, have plans that involve like you setting what the plan is for the game, aren't even as like determined as this is. Here's another theory. Maybe you actually never want to worry about your opponent's removal spells at all. You know, we, we mentioned how Baral and the Goblin are lightning rods. You can win without them. It's harder, but it's possible. You can also win with like the removal on the stack, not infrequently, I feel like too. Yeah, you have to do that where you play it and then it's on the stack, you know what I mean? Like you have to play Baral the same turn to to make that work, which you, you can, absolutely. But you, you can do all your ritualing and all that kind of stuff and then get it passed and flames out and get enough kind of, you know, start getting one off of each ritual when you flash him back instead and, and definitely get there. So that's one of the things that's the most annoying when you're playing against Storm is yes. that it does feel like half the time it feels like your removal matters a huge amount, and the other half of the time it feels like it doesn't matter at all. Shane, if I'm hearing you correctly, I feel like what you're saying is you get your storm count up with like all your rituals and maybe some ops at instant speed yeah. while your opponent's removal spell is on the Oh, stack. yeah, that happens all the time. Yes. That happens a lot. Yeah. yeah. Even you can the- even cast gifts, gifts Ungiven in that situation where you ritual a bunch up, Gifts Ungiven, get the cards you're going to get back from Gifts Ungiven, cast those two, and then probably then you have to stop and cast past and flames and then move mm-hmm. on. But. Yeah. So maybe this is an appealing deck for new players who want a cheap path into modern. We mentioned that recently, but perhaps that is like a subset of storm players. It's just like, this is what I could afford. Why not? Yeah. I mean, I think this is an interesting point. You were hinting at this a little earlier. What do you think of this as someone's first deck in modern? I think I can argue both sides. Because on the one hand, like, yes, it's super complicated and nuanced and you have to, like, solve a different puzzle every game. But on the other hand, like, there's all these parts of magic that you don't have to worry or worry about or think either. And you get to have this tunnel vision that you hone and practice and master. And then, like, when you're ready to play mid-range, you start to learn those styles of gameplays as well. Yeah. I think it's interesting. I think it's like you you need to really challenge yourself if you're going to pick this deck up and just think like, do I do I enjoy magic the puzzling? 
like those Mark Rosewater puzzles, or do I want to do stuff that's more interactive with my opponents? You know, this isn't for you then. It's cheap, but um, I think it can be a good entry to modern. I feel like the way that it works is sort of indicative of what modern is or can be sometimes, right? Like sometimes modern is about really nuanced interactions like Stan was saying, and other times it's about ships passing in the night. And this deck definitely has both of those aspects. So as far as like being a character in the modern landscape, I think it fits in character-wise. And it really rewards experience. So if you're someone who likes to practice, you can practice with this a lot. You can goldfish with it. You can do all kinds of stuff. Yeah, I think it's it's tempting for a lot of players to look at a deck like Storm and say, well, this is just a deck where you goldfish and win or you don't win, right? But I think that Storm is not so powerful of a combo that you are you have the luxury of doing that. It's a deck that you have to play around your opponent and you have to look for openings and you have to know the game of modern, I think, pretty strongly. So in that way, I mean, not that any deck is much easier than others when you don't know the, the, the format at all, but I think that it's actually the kind of deck that, like Dave said, rewards a lot of play more than just goldfishing. And so that is a challenge if you're saying like, hey, pick up this deck, it's cheap, you can start playing modern, because I think that even more than many other decks, it has a lot of a lot of areas where you need to be able to play around removal or know when to time certain things and understand what your opponent is doing more than maybe some other combo decks. Do you think that's true? Yeah, and I think that kind of just captures our our last persona here as well that maybe you play storm because you're just tired of everything else and you're looking for a new challenge because it's so unique and because every game is so different. I throw one last thing on the reason you play storm and that is it kills on turn three and it's not that hard to kill on turn three. It's definitely like one of the default positions of this deck is to be able to do that. And so if you are in a meta game where you feel like you need that speed or it's conducive to your you know, it's conducive to not having your hand messed with and you want to go fast, like Storm can be good. If you like manipulating dice in a paper game. Yeah. If you, if you like counting up mana on tab, like, oh, you can't use dice anymore in a competitive setting. You have to write it down on a notepad. Yeah. And I practiced that for this episode. And I got to say, writing on a notepad makes it so much easier because the patterns are there. You don't have to like fumble with dice and find numbers. You can just add two, you know, it's one three five seven nine. That's so easy. Have, have you seen Caleb Shearer play this in paper though? Like he knows where the pips are. He like moves the dice so fast. That is pretty amazing. All right, so we've talked about why you'd play this deck. We've talked about what's in this deck. Stan, what do you think is the next thing to talk about? There's a lot of decision points here. You know, we talk about the puzzle, and sometimes it feels like this deck. Yes, it wins on turn three. Of course, it can even win on turn seven. It's got that like. Ryan Overturf, Rules of Modern. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, are you really solving a puzzle? Is it just running on autopilot? Sometimes can you get in situations where you, you can never solve the puzzle? Is it fate or is it predestination when you're playing Storm? Yeah, I don't know. Sometimes I feel like half and half, right? Like, I think that the the squeezing the extra 5% out of this deck is that experience point we were talking about a minute ago. And that's where you really get into feeling like you are doing something beyond maybe two or three kind of scripts, you know, like, and the big thing that this deck really comes down to is getting a cross reducer out, getting a decent hand going, and then casting gifts, gifts ungiven to find whatever pieces you need 
and get past in flames into the graveyard so that you can do a bunch of stuff, flashback, and cast your stuff. Let's talk about some of those specific decision points. I think there's a lot there for us to chat about, starting with mulligans. You know, whether or not you need to like draw until you find a cost reducer or whether or not you have other stipulations when you try to mulligan. Because I, I think it, it changes based on what you actually draw. And like, this is a deck where I would sometimes just keep a one lander because I have opt serum visions and like, you know, a, a two mana spell and a mana morphos or even a cost reducer in there. Just because like you have so much cantripping, you have so much velocity and deck manipulation that like finding that second land is actually not that hard. Yeah. I mean, I feel like the interesting thing here is I guess, you know, one of the worst hands that I feel like you can get that looks good, but probably isn't good is like goblin electromancer three rituals and three lands yeah like that seems tempting right for me at least it feels like you have all the pieces but what you don't have is any way to drive through your deck and look for cards and so i feel like you're kind of like yes i have everything that i need but i i feel like the hands where you have redraws in your opener your metamorphose your ops when you do get a gifts ungiven that you can work to in your opener are feel a little more stable to me as far as mulliganing. It could be wrong, but that's just how it felt to me kind of playing with it recently and also probably the way I thought about it a few years ago. Although, you know, as bad as I am at magic, I'm better now than I was in 2017. So I, I think, you know, maybe my attitudes have changed a little bit, but I feel like I would want to have some velocity through the deck less than being set up with a hand that I felt like uh, was getting me directly to my end game somehow. I would keep that hand. You would? No question. So here's why. Your deck has all that redundancy. Like your chances of drawing either a Serum Visions or one of like your big combo pieces, especially Gifts and Given, are really high. And I think like because you're never you're never winning on turn two, so you essentially have three draws to get there. I actually think like that hand seems okay because you know once you find gifts um or past in flames, you're getting a high storm count. Yeah, but you don't have a payoff. Unless you you don't have any way to get to gifts. Yeah, I mean, really, that hand just needs gifts. Like, it needs gifts more than Pass and Flames, of course. Right, right. So it's kind of like, how can we get to gifts? Right, and we don't play Merchant Scroll anymore. So, like, you have to either draw it or, or cantrip into it. Right. There's a couple of weird things like that that I thought were interesting in the deck now. And one of them that we'll talk about in a minute. Are, are there any other mulligan things you want to talk about? I feel like I never want to side out repeal and that's a a lesson i had to learn the hard way where i was like it's a one of i'm trying to find room for like a sideboard card let's get repeal out of here and then i always regret it and i think i was i was play testing with with my buddy martin and he kind of helped me come up with this maxim of just like never side out your one ofs they're kind of there for a reason yeah i mean they're there to be gifts package targets right so look the next thing that we need to talk about after going from through a little bit of mulligan thinking is the actual gifts packages which feels like it's very um, one of the most important moments in the deck but a large percentage of the time you're going to pick from a couple of different packages that are pretty well worn yeah this is the decision point where you might lose because you grab the wrong cards like physically grab the wrong cards (laughs) yeah grab your opponent's cards and run (laughs) like you you didn't make the wrong decision you just you just held out oh this is a basic island so stan what do you think so in my mind the the Baseline level one gifts package is two rituals, pass and flame, and grape shot, right? Yeah, this is really great. Like, if you spent your first couple of turns cantripping, if you have maybe another ritual or two in your hand so that you can like generate enough mana to either flashback pass and flames, or if they 
make you bin your rituals, then you can still get that pass and flames off of whatever's in your hand. Yeah, and this is a situation too where you have a cost reducer in play already. Like when your game plan is going the way it should go, this is where you this is where you're gonna what you're gonna gifts for. Yeah, and I do think there is a second most common one when you have a gifts and a grape shop, but no pass and flames. Um, you probably want to grab like ritual, ritual, metamorphose, pass and flames specifically to bulk up your storm count and just like go to town because um, you know again you have that cost reducer in your hand and access to recast gifts and given out of the graveyard. Yeah, I could totally agree with that. All right, so what if you don't have a cost reducer but you can just cast gifts? Where does that go these days? That's what I was trying to figure out because, you know, you were talking about a couple of the other cards that this deck used to run. Like it used to run Merchant Scroll to help give you a way to tutor up a gifts, which is like a nice thing to have because then you could do, uh, you could, you know, cantrip into that or you could also like gift uh, scroll for a remand or something like that. But what this deck used to run to help with the cost reducers is it would run a single copy of Noxious Revival. Yeah. So that you could get... Noxious Revival, Baral, and a Goblin Electromancer, and then you're guaranteed to get a to get a cost reducer off the top if they gave you if they put those in the bin and gave you the Noxious Revival. And you get it right away, because if you cast it at the end of their turn, Noxious Revival is actually an instant and it costs it's Phyrexian mana. So you could just do that, draw it, and kind of go on your way. I'm not sure why it doesn't do that anymore. Do you have any thoughts about that, Stan? I really don't. Because I think that there's probably, I, I guess that what's going on here is that the lines where you try to win without the cost reducers must be better than they used to be, or people must be more comfortable with that game plan. Because there's so many times where, I mean, you're you're pretty likely to get at least one cost reducer, you know, but you're also very likely to have one killed at some point during the game. So I think it it must be that there's enough outs or enough ways to win without them that... Uh, you just don't need to be able to tutor them up. All right, I want to hear your reactions to my personal favorite gifts package. Ritual, ritual, past and flame, gifts ungiven. Sure. I feel like a genius when I gifts for gifts. The double gifts. The double gifts. I think the reason gifts is the namesake card is because when you cast gifts, the expectation is that you set up your, your win. But realistically, Sometimes you don't have the cards in the yard or the cards in your hand to guarantee a deterministic win off of that first gifts. And that's when you just get the second one, dog. So what do you do in that situation, though, where you're... So I guess when you're past in flames, what you're saying is you'll probably get two rituals off of that. And then you will flashback, have enough mana to flashback and then cast gifts again out of the graveyard. And maybe even cast the one you just cast again out of the graveyard so that you're just going like wombo combo with it. Yeah, if you need to. Like chaining gifts ungiven... It's just one of the ways not only to pad your storm count, but to get you card advantage because you're you're paying for one card and you're getting two in the process. And if you're making the right gifts choices based on the context of the game, you will always set yourself up to get like two cards in your hand that will impact the board. I want to check one little thing quickly. Something that comes up in Storm quite a bit is what cards have flashback and what cards don't when you cast Past and Flames. Mm. So something you have to have to keep in mind when you cast Past and Flames is that only the cards in your graveyard when Past and Flames resolves have flashback. If they come in later in the turn, it does not gain flashback. Hard, another thing you have to really keep track of and something that's really easy to mess up when you are playing live. Because how how good are you at separating your graveyard into two separate yeah. <laughs> piles? The ones with 
flashback and the ones that don't have it. That's the type of thing where, you know, in the package that Stan's talking about, it's worth remembering that if you gifts a second time, those cards that go in your graveyard do not gain flashback because you've already cast past in flames. So just closing out this little gifts chat, I, I'm curious, you know, Storm sometimes reminded me of KCI in that like it was all about monopolizing the amount of game actions that you take compared to what your opponent can can take in a game. But it's different than KCI because it's non-deterministic. Right. I mean, for me, this deck is so much about just executing its plan that I don't think it's really about accruing advantage the same way that that KCI idea is or even, um, you know, like Death Shadow is kind of about those micro interactions. Like Storm is really just about, it's like prowess. It's just about casting a bunch of cards. You don't even care if they give you an advantage a lot of times. Like rituals don't really give you an advantage. They just pay off your game plan they whereas a lot of those micro interactions in like kci or urza or death shadow they do little things like they draw you a card they let you search for something they hurt you like all of those kind of things i think storm is a little bit less on that end than some of those decks are what do you think yeah counterpoint no no that checks out i i think that's kind of the weird thing about gifts is like you can whiff and sometimes you can look back on a game and say like maybe if i grabbed island snow island ritual ritual that would have got me there or maybe if i grabbed like two creatures and two rituals that would have got me there uh maybe i shouldn't have grabbed rituals at all and like figured something else out yeah i mean on the flip side as an opponent of storm you kind of always feel like you whiff <laughs> yeah. with telling them what to pick up like it sort of doesn't matter most of the time you're just kind of like well cool i think like the best takeaway i can offer is like if you're playing against storm and they give you a gifts package like try to ensure that they need another turn before they can storm off because like they don't have enough mana to flash back a past in flames or um i don't know like maybe they can only cast the past in flames once for that flashback cost yeah i always feel so stupid and desperate i'm just always like well past in flames cost more in the graveyard so i guess let's put it there and cross my fingers that you're not going to generate the right amount of mana to cast this. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Stan has a good point though that a lot of times Storm can cast past in flames twice in a turn because sure. you cast some cards, draw some cards, put them in, you know, they end up in the graveyard, they don't have flashback, you cast past in flames again in that situation and then uh then they you're really going to town. So it is probably better to just put it in the graveyard as much as possible, but So Storm has some cards in the sideboard, 15 of them in fact. We mentioned a couple of them, they're the alternate wind cons, uh empty the warrens and Arya Aflame. I think we talked about Empty the Warrens a little bit. Like, you play it if you need to buy yourself a little bit of time. Maybe you can't target your opponent, whatever. Arya Flame, it does target the opponent. When do you think Arya's good? Is it just, like, because someone played a taxing effect? Or are there other circumstances where you found it useful? Yeah, I think you nailed it earlier. It's taxing and hand disruption, I think, are good. Or places where you're limited in the amount of cards you're going to have or the amount of spells you can cast. So you still get value off of the stuff you cast. That makes a ton of sense to me. For sure. So alternate win cons is like a big part of the Storm sideboard, right? It's Aria, it's Empty the Warrens, it's Ignite Memories. Like those are those are all kind of like bring them in if you need some kind of special fixing uh, on your deck. You've got Lightning Bolts for, you know, cards like Meddling Mage, Thalia, Ma Magus of the Moon, I think is like really problematic for this deck because you're you have such a hard time producing blue mana sometimes. Um you've got some artifact removal to deal with like damping sphere or chalice of the void 
hugely problematic cards for this damping sphere chalice of the void like both yeah very hard to to beat especially if someone puts a chalice on two yeah then you're just kind of like oh okay (laughs) yeah before a braid was printed we had to run shattering spree to deal with chalice yes i still think that's a good card and so i wouldn't be surprised to see that coming in or going out but right now one of the cool things that that this deck runs in the sideboard is um shenanigans because it's great with gifts you uh you put in my hand i get to use it you put it in my graveyard, I still get to use it because it has dredge. So Shane, what's that weird restaurant you love with all the crazy stuff on the wall? Uh shenanigans? Max and Irma's, I think. <laughs> was what we were looking for. All right. You got some cheap counter spells, primarily mystic, mystical dispute. Though I actually think Flusterstorm is acceptable or like uh dispel, totally fine, just because like you want something against your opponent's cheap counter spells too, periodically. Yep. And then the last card that's in here quite often is Pieces of the Puzzle, which is a two generic and a blue sorcery from Shadows over Innistrad, I think. And it lets you look at the top five cards of your library, put two instants or sorceries into your hand and put the rest into your graveyard. It is a really good card for moments where you can actually fit casting this card in. So it's, it does a lot of work, lets you dig deeper, and a lot of times those cards just go to the graveyard anyway, so you get even more uh, fuel for the fire, basically. I think this is good against cards that are gonna, decks that are going to take cards out of your hand. It's good in cases where you have time to draw extra cards. It's just it's, it's a nice card to have an option to bulk up on what's essentially like extra copies of gifts. I sometimes feel like Pieces is really good if the name of the game is to go fast. For some of those reasons you mentioned, like I need to find my combo payoff as soon as possible and and Gifts is just going to let me dig deeper than anything else and get two cards. So it's actual card advantage too. Yeah. You know, the hardest part for me in like such a tuned combo deck is what to side out. Me too. And I stand, help me. I think it's like opt. (laughs) That's what I took out all the time was opt. Isn't that like... Doesn't that belie your your concept of like your 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 cyclers, like your turbo xeroxy stuff? But you have like eleven in the deck, yeah. and or maybe ten. So opt is one of the first ones on the chopping block because I just would keep sleight of hand and um, serum vision still. Yeah, sli- then, sleight of hand is just better than than opt, but for the fact that it's sorcery speed, right? And then other times maybe you shave a gifts ungiven here and there, like you can take one down and kind of be okay. Uh, I don't know. That seems bad, but it was something that I looked at sometimes. Um, uh, yeah, there's probably articles by Caleb that like provide real sideboard guides. So that's one of our blind spots. Look it up. I will say the deck I was running had three main deck grape shots. And especially if I was bringing in extra grape shots, but sometimes not, I would just go down to one. Like if I wasn't particularly nervous about my opponent having surgical effects, like I've got gifts ungiven and remand and pass in flames to double up on those grape shots. So even having the one felt like a viable win condition, you know, fairly frequently. Yeah. Do you guys want to switch over to talking about beating Storm? Yes, I would love to, because I think it's really easy. Okay. So why don't we do that? How do you beat Storm, Stan? Just play any of the good decks in modern right now. Like, (laughs) I I, I don't know if this is a hot take, but I'm just going to say, like, I think Storm is poorly positioned and... If you own Storm and you're trying to decide, like, should I play Storm or something else this weekend? I don't think I'd recommend Storm, like, in the current state of modern. Wow. Okay. And why is that? Like, what about it? Besides just saying, I think it's bad against certain decks. But, like, what about the decks make Storm poorly positioned? Every deck has, like, some amount of hate, either in the main deck or sideboard. 
that like deals with a bunch of other strategies and Storm just gets hit by all of them. Like Graveyard Hate is good against Storm. Everyone has some version of Graveyard Hate. Everyone has some version of like Tron Hate, such as Damping Sphere or Blood Moon. Both are good against Storm. The fact that Eldrazi Tron and Ponza are both among the most popular decks in the metagame, and they both have main deck hate against Storm in the form of like Clothis or Scooz or Chalice of the Void, uh, or even like Thought Not Seer. Wow. Okay. There's a ton of mid range. Like, there's Jun, there's like a bunch of shadow decks. Like, any deck that can play Thoughtseize and Inquisition, like, I don't think I can beat. Any deck that has multiple counter spells, I feel like is a huge problem. And then I'm kind of like counting on resolving an Aria Flame post board. Can this fight against the Prowess decks? Because the Prowess decks are sometimes, I mean, they're basically just as like a, I hope I'm on the play and I get a combo off on turn three or turn four before you kill me on turn three or turn four. In my mind, that is a slightly less problematic matchup. But A, they can kill you faster. You know, Storm doesn't always have the turn three kill and sometimes Prowess might. But also like Prowess often plays Dragon dragon's claw in the sideboard and that is a card that i love to bring in against storm because storm is casting like 40 rituals rituals. yeah Yeah. it's like thank you for gaining me all the life i would have lost off of the grape shot also weather the storm is great against storm like if they try to grape shot you for 20 you weather the storm and you gain 60 60 i mean you, you can't you you have to play around weather the storm right like if they have weather the storm mana you just can't do it that's kind of a tough position to be in though I think it's really hard to play around it for any deck, like even for burn. Like, how do you play around weather the storm? Like, sometimes you just have to cast like three spells. False in a tempo. Turn. Yeah, yeah. I mean, storm does have the option to run fluster storm yes. out of the sideboard, which is kind of nice in that situation. Um, maybe that's a reason to to run it because there is a fair amount of weather the storm floating around because it's good against prowess. But um, yeah, it's tough. I think that this deck is good. It's sort of like this deck is good in a metagame where people are trying to combo off a lot yeah and so if other people are trying to combo if if people are like hey we're doing maybe we're doing a lot of like urza stuff right now which is like a slightly slower combo finish that has a little bit of ability to go mid-range storm will get in faster than than it and coming in an axis that's different than what Urza's expecting yeah at least main board totally agree i feel like storm is good and like degenerate metagames it's also, I think, very good against Titan. Yeah. By the way, because Titan um, is just doing other stuff towards like becoming a powerful. It's it's like a powerful, non-interactive kind of strategy for the most part, and so you just don't care. Like they don't care about you. You don't care about them. And so Storm just is kind of like, I'm faster. I'll get there. Yeah, because I don't think Titan really has a lot of ways to instant speed Bajukabog to fetch it and play it. And like you can, I think you can beat one Bajukabog. Yep, I I certainly did beat one Bajukabog in the the leagues that I did, and um, it was surprising how much I just felt like because I hate playing against Titan with most decks. Yeah, and I just felt like oh they none of their cards matter. Like go ahead and get make a whole bunch of zombie tokens. Hit me with Titan twice. Like I will be fine. Also, I don't know if you guys remember this the way I do. Uh, I'm pretty sure I heard like a very very old episode of like Grindcast where Collins Mullen was talking about like why they were doing so well with five color humans after they like first developed that deck and part of the reason was humans is fantastic against Storm and it was developed in this meta game that like it got to prey on one of the top decks in the format because Thalia taxes all of your spells 
Meddling Mage just lets you shut off Grape Shot or Gifts Ungiven or Pass in Flames. And Kite Sail Freebooter lets you pick out like really important combo pieces out of their hand as well. Yeah. So it's good. It was good against Shadow too, right? Humans is good against Shadow and Storm. Yeah. Um, but let's talk about like some normal <laughs> things here with this. Like, okay, if you have creature removal, when do you kill your opponent's mana reducers? As, On site. as, as soon as possible. As soon as possible. There are a couple of moments to really think about though, where if you end up like sometimes it's good to remember that you can kill it during their upkeep because then they won't get to use any mana that they generate to cast any sorceries. Sometimes that helps. If you kill it when it ha- there is the first ritual is on the stack, for example, is the best time to do it. So there is a little bit of a game of chicken mm-hmm. there where you're kind of like waiting for them to try to go for it and hoping that they do it without a bunch of extra mana open so that they put a ritual on the stack and you kill their guy and then they have three mana. And it's like, okay, they still can do stuff, but they're not going to go up as fast as they were before. They might not create enough mana to get you know, a bunch of extra storm going off, or they might not have enough to be able to like cast gifts on given and pass in flames in the same turn because you, because you've put the brakes on so hard without them being able to cast another cost reducer. Yeah. So you're kind of saying like, while it's tempting to do it as soon as possible, it, it, there's, there's a lot of reasons to not just to like sort of like the card or the cards have much lower value because they cast them on a turn that they thought they could go off, but now they can't. So they're not sandbagging right. them any longer. Right. Makes sense. Yeah. Unless they're tapped out. Like if they're tapped out, just kill it. Just go for it. Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason. It, that's not generating extra value. It's sort of like making the best out of a bad situation. And often Storm like just taps out for a cost reducer on turn two. Like you sort of have to because you get to kill on turn three when you do that. Yeah. I mean, a lot of times I find that when I'm playing against a Storm person and they do that, it's because they have two. They're sort of like, I have two cost reducers. That's how I'm going to play one unprotected. If I would only had one in hand, I don't think I would go for the turn three kill. Right, because you can combo off the same turn you cast a creature if you have enough rituals in your hand. Yeah, and if you have enough just mana, like lands in play. Right. So Right. I, I think with three lands, even, you can do that if you have like a couple of rituals and a metamorphose and a gifts. That's the key. The, the key is that second card you mentioned. You got to be able to make red and blue mana right. in that situation. And so you have to have metamorphose to do it so that you can cast gifts and keep going. Speaking of making blue mana, I know we've already talked about the lands. I just want to bring this back. I had an innovation when I was testing this deck. I was shocked that no one was playing Cascade Bluffs. So I just put in a Cascade Bluffs. Interesting. It's great. It's so great. Like, you just make so much red mana. Sometimes you turn it into blue, blue. Why not? You don't need Manamorphose. Secret tech. I'm a genius. Look at you. That is some secret tech. I'm a genius. Also, it just got reprinted. All right. Big cards to counter in this deck. Do not... Just remember, you can't counter Grape Shot. You can counter the one. It doesn't get rid of the copies. So you need to cap to counter specifically gifts ungiven is probably the best card to counter if you can do it. But other than that, counter fl- past and flames. You can whirlwind denial of grape shot. Can you? Maybe not. Does that get all of them? What's that overload? There's like that. Is it overload spell? Yeah, there. That's um. It's red. It's blue red. Yeah. Maybe you can't whirlwind denial. And then there's also what summary denial or something like that that removes everything from the stack. Oh yeah, summary it's dismissal. The summary dismissal. Yeah, Angel's Grace will do it too. Yeah. Any other tips on finally beating Storm Stand that we forgot about? How to, we talked about what to counter, how to kill, hate cards, 
You got it all. Thorough. Wow. Wow. Good job. <laughs> good ass. It's a good man and thorough. All right. Um, so I think I've kind of spilled the beans on how how I feel about Storm right now. Uh, listen, I actually I was thrilled to replay this deck, even after taking a break after three years. I'll even go out to say like this is my favorite deck to goldfish. It's more fun to goldfish than playing it IRL because you don't have to worry about whatever your opponent's doing and you can just like practice your ability to find lines uh, and make like problematic hands winnable situations. But how, how, how do you guys feel about Storm? Like, would you recommend it to someone who's either considering it as a path to enter modern or as just like a potential deck to play in 2020? Line in the sand. I have no interest in this deck. Um, I mean, you can tell by my, my relative silence in this episode, I didn't even play this deck for this episode. Like I, I relied on Dave and Stan to, to do the heavy lifting here while I did the breakdown and, and had some focus on some life stuff. Wow. Production notes. Great. Yeah. It, that was not in <laughs> protest. It's not like that Shane refused. No. So I just, I just, I don't care about decks like this. Like, I, I mean, I see the appeal, like we talked about earlier, like I see the appeal for why one could be into playing a deck like this but it's like it's just not my style at all like it doesn't play to the battlefield it, it plays on the stack and it has a, a really a unconventional win con right and so it's like it's not the puzzle i want to solve but i don't think it's a bad puzzle to want to solve yeah i mean i think i had fun taking this back out i i would have liked to have done more than the two leagues that i did you know i didn't do great in them because i'm rusty um miss some lines realize some things later. I mean, that's what Storm is all about, is realizing how you messed up and then thinking about how to do it better later. I mean, most of Magic is like that for me when you're terrible. But, you know, I think that aspect is fun. I think that I should remember that this is an option that I kind of have in the stable and just get it out sometimes online to just, you know, do some puzzling, do some Magic the puzzling. I mean, I think that the fact is, the fact that this deck can kill on turn three, that it has high redundancy, and you know you can win a few different ways without killing the re- without changing the rest of the deck. It will make this something that can hang around. And who knows? Maybe they'll make a mistake and print something that really pushes this card way over the top at some point, or they'll unban something that seems wild in it. So I think this is definitely a deck that should always be on the radar. You should know how to play against it, and that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, and really learning how to play against it becomes a lot easier after you take it out for a spin a couple times. Yeah, totally agree. Because you realize how fragile it is when you're on the other side. When you are someone who just plays against it, sometimes it feels like it's always super inevitable that you're going to lose. Dave, I don't know if you picked up on this, but when I realized I was going to have the chance to actually play Paper Magic with a buddy of mine, and we played safely outdoors with masks on. Yeah. You know, I'm pretty conservative with regard to... My dude. Yeah. To to COVID safety. When I realized I was going to get a chance to play with someone in paper, I just went out and bought the rest of the deck. It was you did. It was like twenty bucks for like the gifts I'm given are so cheap. The like gifts is like a two dollar card. Oh wow! And it was like I just needed a baral, some gifts, some rituals. It was it was chump change. And now, like Shane said, I have a deck for the comp. There you go. All right. Well, that wraps up our long-awaited dive down into gift storm. Thank you, everyone who kind of told us to to look at this deck for like months if not years now i'm glad we finally did it brought back some fond memories of course we're gonna take a quick break and then i have a very 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 brief unscripted wind down that's almost as much for my co-host as it is for the listeners stay with us (music) 
All right, before we wrap up the show, this episode comes out on Friday. A few days ago, if you haven't noticed, one of our bonus episodes came out where Shane interviewed SCG mainstay Patrick Sullivan. If you haven't had a chance to listen to that episode, you have to. I think it's a must listen. And like, I was kind of grateful that I wasn't on it because I got to hear it as a listener. And it's just like one of the best episodes of the Dive Down ever made. Well, that, I think that's mostly 98% thanks to uh, Patrick for coming on. He is an amazing brain. He's a great thinker about the game of magic, which you could tell if you read anything that he's written or some of his great uh, kind of takes on uh, SCG broadcast. But yeah, he was awesome to interview. Um, he also asked us to donate $100 to the uh, Denver Justice Project. I believe that's what the name is. So we did that uh, for him. So thanks a bunch for coming on. Thanks for to give to a great local charity here in Colorado. All right, that wraps up this week's show. If you haven't yet, make sure you subscribe to our podcast so you get the latest episodes as soon as they come out. And if you use Apple Podcasts, please leave us a rating and review. If you'd like to submit a question to the podcast or pick our brain on something in Modern or Pioneer, you can tweet us at The Dive Down, all one word, or email thedivedown at gmail.com. If you'd like to support the show, you can join our Patreon, where joining at any tier gets you access to our super secret Slack channel. There's some chatter these days about doing a paper Zoom FNM, which I'm, I'm going to try to make. Really excited. Maybe I'll finally get to play Storm against some of the patrons, uh, hmm. except they'll know how to beat me, so that's a bad idea. Find that over at patreon.com slash the dive down. As always, shout out to Mana Traders for sponsoring the show. Sign up for Mana Traders using promo code the dive down, all one word. Get 20% off your first three months of renting Magic Online cards. Special thanks to the bands Nowhere and Spaceblood for letting us use their music. And until next week, get out there and Grape Shot, Remand, Grape Shot! (laughs) 